Hello, and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast with tips and tools for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Nancy Bacon, and I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. We decided this summer of 2021 to spend three episodes talking about technology topics. Specifically, we're going to focus on social media, websites, and databases. We're going to invite some of our favorite colleagues to join us for these conversations, and I'm about to introduce today's guest to talk about social media in just a second. But before we jump into what we need to know, Sarah, why does this matter? Oh, such a good question, Nancy. You know, it matters for so many different reasons, some of which include uh, the fact that everyone's doing it. Everyone's on social media. So if you're a small nonprofit organization, you're going to have to figure out what your strategy is and where it fits into your communication. You're also going to need to grapple with what does it mean to be on social media and how will you prepare to answer to those who are excited about your movement and those who might be skeptical of what you're up to. It's also a great platform for learning. We all go on to social media to find out what's going on in other organizations. And sometimes you see the best examples of communication out of a peer organization. And I think another reason for me why I'm so excited to talk to our special guest today is that it can be a bit of a rabbit hole. I think we've all probably gotten lost at some point scrolling through things on some form of social media and wondered where did that hour go? And the same thing happens in our office places. So I think it's really important to talk about small nonprofits and social media to make sure we're being efficient and making good use of our time and resources. I agree. Those are all really good reasons. And you know, we're talking a lot about it. So let's figure out what it is and how it relates to our work. So let me introduce our guest. I'm really delighted to do so. Tom Lang led e-learning at Washington Nonprofit for four and a half years. And Tom, I'm going to go off script for a second here. I'm not sure if you got a proper send-off. I know you're leaving Washington Nonprofit. So I know many nonprofits want to thank you for all you've done to support nonprofit learning. So huge gratitude for everything you've done. So for sure. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, let me just finish this bio. He was one of those technology nimble people who can run a webinar with one hand while responding to email with the other. He's also very good at understanding and using social media to reach people. So Tom, welcome to the nonprofit radio show. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Sarah. And what a nice introduction. I, I have to say after four and a half years with the state association for nonprofits, It's been really amazing to see all the different types of nonprofits in Washington and supporting all of them. So really happy to be here and to be working with with you both and uh, with all the nonprofits in the state for the past four years. Thanks, Tom. So let's kick it off. What is social media? What are we even talking about? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And and full disclosure, I'm uh, 36. So I'm on the younger side, but definitely not the youngest. And I know. I grew up with social media. You know, my generation was the first to be on Facebook. I think Mark Zuckerberg's like a year older than me, maybe two. So it's an interesting question to ask what is social media? Because for me personally, it's everywhere. It's always been everywhere. And it's a lot of different things nowadays. When I was trying to think through all the major platforms used right now, and we have we have a couple of them, just to name off the big ones, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. There's also LinkedIn, more professional focused, and there's TikTok. There's even YouTube, and I was trying to debate, is that really, is that social media or is that more of a, I don't know what it is, but YouTube is being used, I've heard, by a lot of younger kids, you know, ages 6 to 15. And you'd think 
that's crazy. It shouldn't be on social media, but it's all there. The internet is open for everyone and, and they're, they're using it, whether we like it or not. There's a lot of other smaller platforms, I think, but those are the big ones, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and then for the younger folks, TikTok and YouTube. So if we tease this out a little bit, like Facebook is mostly for personal stuff. LinkedIn is mostly professional stuff. Instagram, what? Is that photos? What's Instagram for? Yeah. Well, so this is the way I think of it. Um, Each platform has a little bit different demographic. They're all focused on different types of people. Age is one part of it, but also location in the world. And that's the other thing about, about social media that we have to remember. It's everywhere, meaning not only in our community or in our country, but it's everywhere across the world. There are something like I think 2 billion Facebook accounts now, unique Facebook accounts. That's unimaginable to think that you could be on a platform and connect with 2 billion other people immediately. It's instantaneous. It's worldwide. It's a powerful thing. No matter what platform you're on, it's a powerful, powerful thing. So to say Instagram is for photos kind of diminishes the opportunities that a lot of small businesses are having on Instagram. They share a photo of their product and they're able to market it across the entire world. This sort of thing was never possible before. So when I think of social media and and what it is, why a nonprofit or anyone should be on it, I think of it like the yellow pages. It's like the phone book, you know, back in the day, the phone book, you go there to find whatever you need. Social media is that way too. If you are in any way curious about an organization or an idea, a topic, a movement, you just type it into the search bar and you can find something on any of these platforms. It might not be what you as the nonprofit are hoping they find, but it is possible to find everything there. So the amount of possibilities is infinite. And then it's just a question of where do you want to focus your efforts? Which platform is the best for you and your community? Which demographic are you trying to reach? So how do I know in my community? You know, most of our listeners are small nonprofits. They might be in rural areas or in urban areas. How do I know what my group of people that I'm trying to reach are using? And more importantly, how do I know the group I'm not yet reaching, but I want to reach are using? Yeah, I think the the best advice that I can give to folks about getting started with social media, if they're completely new to all of it, is start looking for other similar nonprofits to yours, other people in the community, either in your local community or just across the country who do similar things, follow them on social media, see what they do, see who follows them. That's the other great thing about social media. You can see who likes what, and you can track. And this happens a lot on Instagram. I know every platform has a way of kind of seeing the connections and you can find out who is following this similar organization in your town. And then you can go and find out, well, what are they? They're obviously on Facebook, but we see more of them on Twitter, for example. Okay, then maybe we should be on Twitter. You can make those strategic decisions based on observing what other folks in your community are doing. You know, we talk a lot on the radio show about building a movement. And part of building a movement is participating in conversations that may be happening in social media online. And I mean, I use social media a lot to learn stuff. I follow certain groups or individuals who are doing really interesting work. And I appreciate the chance to follow that. I also enjoy being part of the conversation. So if somebody posts article that I find really interesting, I can use the posting opportunity to post something and also to tag people. And the interesting thing when you tag people is that other people see it. So if I tag Tom in a LinkedIn post, then every all of my friends, and I believe Tom's friends, I'm not sure, see that I posted on his article. 
And so then I start to get friend requests or whatever that's called on LinkedIn. Is that right, Tom? Generally, if you like a post, um, other folks will will see that. And if you tag someone or bring anyone else into the conversation, other folks will see that too. All the connections are, are possible. Cool. So what are the top three things that someone needs to know about social media and how to be successful with it? I think the first one is just know your audience and that will help you decide which platform to use. Try to figure out who it is you're trying to reach, what the age of that group is, what platform they're already on or could be on, and what they're trying to get out of the social media experience. Are you looking for donors? Are you looking for volunteers? Are you looking for board members? These are all questions you should answer ahead of time. Or are you simply trying to get information out to the broader community, whether they know about your organization beforehand or not? If you know those things, then you can decide which platform to be on. And then you can also really focus how much energy and time you'll put into being on that platform. Because there's a lot of different things you can do on each platform. And there's there's kind of uh, unspoken norms about each platform. For example, Facebook is often used to share longer stories, I guess you could say, but with pictures or videos and not very often are posted. So maybe like once a week, you update everyone. Here's what's happening at our our pet clinic this week. Whereas on Twitter, it's much more quick updates. You know, sometimes twice, three times a day, you might want to tell people, hey, the pet clinic's closed today from noon to two. Those kinds of updates would be more appropriate on Twitter. But of course, all of this is very dependent on who your audience is. And if your audience is primarily on one platform, then you got to just give them all the information there. So the top thing I would say is know your audience and decide which platform you want to use. Another really important thing is, is knowing what to post. And, and there's really three types of content. There's sharing information, which is just you know simple. This is what's happening today at our organization. There's call to action, and that could be sign a petition, give us a donation, or come to this event next week those kind of, we want you to do something. That's a very distinctive type of post. And then there's also updates and and just personal things. We're trying to make the the organization as human as possible. So you want to give people some insight to the the humans behind the, the organization name. And those kind of updates are usually the most popular, usually on the platforms, no matter what platform it is. Because people always love to hear the story and know who's behind the the name of the organization. But the most important thing is to know that with those three types of content, you don't want to focus too much on any one of them. You really want to balance it evenly and follow whatever the, I don't know who determines these norms, but there are norms for each platform. Facebook generally is less of the constant updates about your your organization and more of the personal stuff. Whereas Twitter is, is the the many, many updates and information sharing, call to action, that kind of thing. Yes. So I'm intrigued by this conversation, Tom, because my organization certainly uses social media. I will admit that I personally am probably on the more social media hesitant side. So tell me more about some of the pitfalls that we should be thinking about, especially as a small nonprofit organization, before we dive into the social media pool. Yeah. And I I am sort of on your side as well, Sarah, because I don't love social media. I don't like being on the platforms, but as someone who grew up with it, it's kind of inevitable. And I also see there is a lot of potential. So I know that there's a good reason for a nonprofit to be on each platform. I would say the, the first thing to remember is you don't need to spend a lot of time on this. It's not the most important part of anyone's day unless 
your community specifically lives on a platform. For example, if you work with youth, you probably want to be where the youth are. And overwhelmingly, the youth are on TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, whatever it is. So you want to make sure that your presence in the community is where it's supposed to be. But if your community is not on social media 100% of the day, then you don't need to be either. So one of the pitfalls you could easily get into is just spending too much time on it. Don't get sucked in. Measure it out and know what you're putting into the experience is also what you're going to get out of it. It seems like social media is like a lot of intellectual property. And that is you also have to be really careful about who owns it and what your logins are. I remember working with a community foundation in Washington state and some staff member left and they didn't have access to any of their social media accounts. And so the executive director was asking me outside his organization how he can crack into his Facebook account. I have no idea. So you got to be careful about who has those logins and, you know, just intellectual property. Well, and I was also just thinking about that, you know, Tom, your really good point about live where your audience is. And I am not 36. I'm significantly older than 36. And my organization doesn't deal with youth. But if it did, you know, I'm not entirely sure my voice is the most authentic voice to be in the youth space necessarily. So I think it's also really interesting organizationally to either own the fact that no one in your organization is quite of the same genre of demographic that you might be trying to talk to or to find a voice there. And I think one of the big debates that come about in uh, social media conversations within organizations is where's the control right over the messaging? It, we, social media didn't exist. We all could see the print proof 42 times before it went live and everyone could weigh in on what they want. But social media is fast. It's more informal and casual. And so I think organizations have to get comfortable with the idea that some other voice might actually be speaking for their mission. That can be an awesome and powerful thing, but it's change for a lot of organizations. And and we all know that takes a little time and adjustment. Yeah, no, I think that those are both great points. And to address both of them, I feel like one way you can handle this is by giving lots of people the reins to the social media account. There's a lot of easy ways. I know on Facebook in particular, you can set up administrators for a site and it doesn't have to be just one. You can also give people editing privileges so they can edit some things, but they can't like manage the whole account. They don't have the keys to the whole place, but they have you know keys to the the lockbox. There's just a lot of different ways you can set it up. And I think just like any other small nonprofit system setting, you want to make sure that there's redundancy. And if anyone leaves or goes rogue for whatever reason, there's someone else that can step in and write the ship. And especially with social media, I think we're often overworked as staff and as volunteer board members, we're, we're always, we always have a lot to do. So there's no reason why one person alone has to or should control the social media channels. Instead, I would say it'd be great to have a team. And in that team, one person posts. So that person is in charge of actually posting. And then I would say have two other people be the content creators. And maybe, maybe if you work with youth, if you have youth in your community, or you just want to have a youth voice on your uh, social media marketing channels, have a youth, have someone younger produce the content. You don't have to actually give them the reins to the site, though they may be very comfortable and, and, and good at that. So maybe you do want to, but just have them produce the content, give you the text, the copy and the image, and then have someone else on the team post it. And then also I would say rotate those positions every two, maybe three months, because 
honestly, you get burned out doing this day in, day out. It's a lot, like like Sarah said, it's, it's quick. It's fast paced and there's a lot of content coming at you on social media and also that you're producing often. So it's just, it's a lot to do. And if you rotate out after two months, it can make things just easier overall. The other thing I wanted to say, and I totally forgot to mention this before, one of the most important parts of social media is elevating other people, your partners in the community. And you can repost, retweet, reblog, whatever it might be, other folks' messages. And that's one way to fill the content in a channel without you actually doing anything except observing others and then saying, yes, we agree with that. So that's another thing. It's relatively easy, but it also requires constant vigilance on that platform. You have to first go out and like and follow the other organizations and people in your community that you think are important as your organization. And then you have to follow what they do and like it and up tweet it, upvote it, all that stuff. You have to repost it so that you can elevate their voices. They'll reciprocate, of course, and that's great, but you really are trying to get the movement built and the movement is never done with just one organization. I have some ways that I do that kind of thing. I set up a Google alert on certain keywords that I care about. And so automatically every morning I get a list of articles on topics I care about. I also set up a Feedly, which is basically a personalized newsletter where I put in the keywords that I follow and I get a basically a personalized newsletter every morning. And I often repost those articles on LinkedIn or somewhere. So you can, there's some shortcuts. There's some easy ways to do this for sure. And your idea of engaging a group of people reminds me, my daughter was a volunteer at the Seattle Aquarium and she was really honored to be selected to be part of this social media team. So she and I think four other young people were part of this Instagram team and they posted very regularly and they had set days. So like Monday was fun fact day, Wednesday was history day. And so they set up a structure that allowed them to post some really interesting things. And the aquarium got this free group of interns uh, producing this content. I just want to say, I think that one of the great things about social media, and Tommy reminded me of this, is, is when we do allow ourselves to relinquish control, it's a good thing, right? Other voices come out who will resonate with different groups of people and you'll find new energy in your messaging. So I think it can be a, a scary thing to think, oh my gosh, we're not going to see every single post before it goes out, but it can be some of the best things that happen for your organization because it's authentic. It's, it's someone genuinely being excited or having learned a fun fact or or having a thought-provoking question to put out there that they're thinking about. Um, and that's a great way to reach new people. Yeah. And also the idea of, it, it can seem daunting to have a staff person or volunteers take over this and you worry, you know, what if they just drop off? Because volunteers often, you know, get really excited, start doing something, and then a week later, you don't see them anymore. But I think what the most important thing you can do at the beginning is to decide your frequency. And no one has to be posting daily. In fact, on some platforms, it's not, you know, it's not good. It's not recommended to post daily. The algorithms really elevate the, the voices that haven't been heard in a while. So on Facebook, if you don't post for two months, for sure, that next post, it's at the top of every single person's feed who follows you. If you are a nonprofit that feels like your volunteers, your staff, they just can't commit to posting or retweeting or whatever it might be every day, maybe it's just once a week you can commit to, that's fine as long as there's consistency. And I think, especially like Nancy was saying, if you can focus those posts around a theme, that's also very, very useful Throwback Thursday, you might have seen that hashtag TBT, 
That's a common one. It's been around for, I don't know, over a decade at least. And that's easy because every Thursday you can post a picture from who knows how long ago. If you're, if you're an organization that's been around for 40 years, that can be a lot of fun for new volunteers, new followers to see something from you know 1970 or whatever that they say, wow, you, I didn't know you've been around that long. That's so cool. So Throwback Thursday or other themed posts once a week could be an easy intro to social media without really a whole lot of work being put into it. I love how we're breaking down the kind of how to make this work, which was our last question. Um, Are there any other ideas other than the ones that we've mentioned on how to make this work? I'm particularly thinking, as Sarah brought up, these all-volunteer groups that are working really hard, both governing their organization and running their organization, and now we're tossing in social media. Any other ideas on how to make that work? One thing that I have, that I know we need to talk about is the money because social media from the beginning has been free for a reason. And it's only in the last, I would say five years that people have really started to recognize the, where the revenue comes from. It comes from the advertisements that in your feed between each of the posts. And that's fine. That's just how things work in this country. But there's another arm of, of each of these Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they all have a paid component where you can boost your posts if you give them money. And it's usually a pretty good payoff. You know, you can reach uh, 500 people for five bucks. That's great. That can't be done in any other way with, you know, print or, or like flyers around the town. But recognize that when you do send out your posts to the general public and you can segment who reach, who it reaches and everything, it's really powerful, but it can also lead to your organization being seen by a lot of people that normally wouldn't see it. And that it can be great. It can also be, it can introduce a lot of challenges. So it's something to think about. And I, I can't say one way or another what to do, but it is powerful, a good way to recruit new donors and volunteers for sure. And also a, a new way to recruit a lot of conflict, let's say. Right. And I, you know, I think that thanks, Tom, for bringing that up because it, it is a reality, especially for a lot of our nonprofit organizations who may do work that in their community is beloved and some organizations who do work in their community that may face some real challenges from people who disagree with their methods or approaches or even mission. And I think one key thing to being a smart social media player is as an organization to have a conversation about what your strategy is when someone challenges you on social media. I know some organizations that just refuse to engage. They don't want to look defensive in any way. I know others who, you know, try to find a board member or someone from the community to speak on their behalf. And I know others who kind of come at it, you know, right on, you know, here, oh, nope, here's where the facts are. Um, all those approaches can work. They can all be useful um, and productive, but yet kind of need to know before it happens <laughs> um, what you're going to do. I appreciate that a lot, that we need to mitigate against that risk right up front. We need to maybe do some scenario planning on what could happen. I think of an elementary school here who had a, a challenge that then got broadcast through Twitter, and all of a sudden people all over the country were calling the principal mad because something happened. And that got quickly out of control and well beyond our community. And it didn't really help the situation. And it distracted the principal from dealing with the true issue. So run through scenarios like that. So you're ready in case, in case something goes wrong. Well, you know, I feel like we could talk about this all day long. And Tom, you bring up so many important things, but we don't usually have the nonprofit radio show go on for two hours. So I'm going to say, Nancy, what is our word of the week? Well, doesn't it have to be social? Isn't it social? You know, let's talk about the word social. What does social mean? Because it, you know, it modifies media in this case. So 
We all know what media is. When I think about social, I think about connecting to society. So connecting to that which is bigger than us, right? So it's taking our small, maybe all volunteer organization and putting us into that larger framework beyond us. That's one idea. What do you think? Well, I, of course, like did my little, you know, Google search for like, where did this word come from? And its root word actually has to do with ally, ally. And I think that that's a, a great way to think about your social media strategy. How do you build allies? And that may mean it's very infrequent, but super authentic, great posts that maybe, you know, you're all over this and this is, this is what you do all the time. But if you start your why with, let's find a way to make as many allies as possible. I think you're off to a great start in your social media strategy. Awesome. Tom, what does the word social mean to you when you think about social as a modifying word to media? Yeah, when I was growing up, I always considered social media fun. So I see it as like the fun part of your outreach as an organization. But it's a lot of different things I recognize. I think it should still be fun, though. I think as much as possible, be fun, have fun. I love that, Tom, because I'm just old enough that it wasn't a part of my childhood. And so when I hear social, I think ice cream social, which is also fun. So I like that too. There is something in common there. I love that. So, well, we talk a lot about building a movement here at the nonprofit radio show. There are some free tools available to you to tell the world what you're doing and why it matters. You don't have to have a cell phone glued to your fingertips to take advantage of social media as part of your larger communications plan. Your story really matters. People can't wait to hear it. You got this. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Radio Show. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please consider sharing the podcast and rating us on your favorite podcast site. Your support is the best way for us to reach more people. We invite you to look at the show notes at nonprofitradioshow.com for ideas on how to bring these conversations into your organization or to tell us what you'd like to hear next. Nonprofit Radio Show is produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks. Editing and post-production are provided by Margaret Nep Schulte of Three Choices Creative Communications. Music is by Riley Crabtree. Together, we are inspired by you and other nonprofit leaders doing important work in our communities. <laughs>